Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Did a great job. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth with me this morning. Ruth and Ruth is a uh, small book, four chapters, I believe, and it is uh, found um, in the Old Testament. It's Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. And so we're going to be there in just a moment. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, and uh, and so and then I'm going to give you the context of what we're learning about this morning, and I think it's going to be helpful to you. I also want to say a big shout out to Mosaic Church San Antonio. On the, yeah, come on. They uh, on the fifth Sunday of every month, um, which is four fifth Sundays in the year, uh, they come and they they serve other churches. And so they came this morning to serve us. So they're greeting and welcoming and and um, and help filling chairs this morning and uh, shouts and and just uh, so much, much delighted to have them. Can we give them a big hand for coming this morning and serving and. So appreciate you, appreciate Pastor Lucas over there and just what God's doing. Um, if, if they're on 410 in Ingram, so if, if Luminous does not work out for you today, then go, go hang out with Mosaic. Uh, I know that they would love it. So um, just an honor to be here this morning with you. We're in a series called Who Am I? And I, uh, I'm really excited and passionate about this series. A lot of us have maybe grabbed the book in the foyer, and so there's a suggested $10 donation for the book. If you do not have $10, then we encourage you to get the book anyway. And what, what a title, Who Am I? I feel like that's what everybody's asking in life. Who am I? Is kind of been the mantra of our life. And then anytime there's crisis that happens in our life, anytime there's something that second-guessed who we are, we, we ask that question. Who am I? I mean, what? Who am I? What do I do with my hands? Like, I, I'm just trying to figure out all those things. And and so I was at uh, uh, local coffee here recently, and this past week, and I was reading this book, and had this book, ordering a coffee, and the barista said, "Who am I? Man, I need to get that book." And I said, "I'll get you a copy of this book." And so it's such a title that I feel like it's appealing to the masses. And so maybe you want to grab a book and share it with somebody, then I'd encourage you to do that as well, like I'm going to be doing this week. And so we've jumped into this series. We're excited about it. First week, we talked about who am I with the insecurities in my life. And so insecurity or pride has, has manifested, and there's really something that God wants to do in your life as he works through your insecurity into giving you a more of an identity or a picture of who he created you to be. And then Last week, we talked about who am I when it comes to comparison, and I was very vulnerable when it came to comparison. I, I was comparing everybody up from the stage, and so you loved that Sunday. So you were kind of like, I want to go back to that Sunday where they just talk about comparison. And, and uh, our life groups, not only was I vulnerable up here, but I was even more vulnerable in our life group. So our poor life group, I mean, they just, I needed prayer afterwards. They laid hands on me. I think I'm done with the comparison game. And so 
Today, I want to talk about who am I when I feel alone? Who am I when I feel alone? And I know that this is such a great topic for us, and it's a topic that affects, you know, really a large percentage of us, which I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But first off, I want to tell you a story about Charles Steinmetz. Charles Steinmetz is, was a general electric engineer, a GE engineer and he designed machinery and did different things like that in the early 1900s and and there was this moment where he retired from General Electric and he was enjoying his life and he got a phone call and said hey one of our machines is acting up and none of the engineers in the building know what to do with this machine and so he goes, okay, I'll be there for a nominal fee. And, and so he went around the machine, he looked, he walked around, and then he grabbed a piece of chalk and he marked an X on one of the parts of the machine and said, that's your problem right there. Well, he invoiced or, or billed the, the uh, accounting department and, and the bill for this X that he drew right there was $10,000. That's a lot of money for an X. And so all the accountants were doing what you're doing. Your, your mouth is dropping and you're like $10,000. That's a lot of money today. What about $10,000 a day in the early 1900s? That was a lot of money. And so they were like, you have to um, um, be accountable for this invoice that you just sent us. How, how can we justify paying you $10,000 for an X? He said, let me break it down for you. Uh, you see, it's $1 for the piece of chalk that I had and $1 for the X, but it's $999,000 for knowing where to put the X. And they were like, fair enough. We'll, we'll pay you your money. I, I feel like today's topic who am I when I'm alone? I feel like a lot of the times we're trying to figure out what is the missing mark or what's broken inside of us that I constantly feel alone. And I want to let you know that this morning is that God knows exactly where to put that X. He knows exactly where to place it in your life. In Psalm 68, 6, it says this, God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. That's exactly where the X is in our life when we feel alone is that God's solution for us is to put us in family, in spiritual family. And he's placed you here this morning in family. And there's two people here this morning. There's the one who actually feels maybe connected to this family and and you feel like, man, I, I did feel alone, but now I'm here and I don't feel alone like I used to because I know there's people who are fighting for me, believing for me, who, who think like I think, who value what I value. And although there may be some differences of ethnicity or political parties or something like that, I know that they are for me and not against me because they have God's heart for me. And God's heart for you is for you and not against you. There, there's that, that group of people here, but there's also another group of people who maybe you just showed up for the first time this morning or you've only been coming for a few months and and you're like man I, I feel alone and I want to just let you know that God has moved you into a place of not isolation but in community in relationship with one another and 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 the way that we find this benefits us is that it actually allows our life to go well when we're placed in great community Jeff Little the the writer of this book 
who am I is a, a pastor in Dallas, Texas, Milestone. And, and really, you know, much of what we say up here is not new information. We're just regurgitating what he's already said. And he's just regurgitating what people before him said. And they're regurgitating what Jesus said. And so that's, that's amazing how God uses that to transfer information to us, to keep encourage us, to spur us on. But something he says in this book is he was talking to a couple of doctor friends of his and I'm talking about the importance of working out and going to the gym and eating healthy. And, and, and the doctor said, yeah, 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 you know, that's all real beneficial. And Jeff goes, you know, but I've, I've had this saying for a long time is that, that if you're alone and healthy, you don't live as long if you're a little unhealthy and have relationships. And the doctor said, well, you know, that's, that's actually somewhat true. There's some, some data about that. You know, loneliness will deteriorate your life uh, over an amount of time. And so uh, Jeff's saying is this, is it's, it's, it's better to, um, to eat burgers with friends than kale all alone. Right. And so, so, you know, so that may be true is that, that, that it may be better to be a little heavy with your friends than super fit by yourself. And uh, and so I just want to encourage you with that. And for all those who are in agreement with that, say amen. All right. All right. Praise God. Now, I will say that there's benefit if you are healthy and you have friends. That's the best of both worlds. So praise God. We just advocate health here. I don't want Stephen to get any emails or anybody else send me emails of me promoting something um, that is not good. So anyway, we're, 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 we're at this place in our society and life, and you know it so well, but just to get us thinking about it is um, now everybody in our society mostly have garages. And if you live in an apartment or a condo, you try to get the one with the garage so that you can sneak in there, you can shut the door, you can go upstairs, and you don't have to talk to any of your neighbors. Anybody anybody agree or attest to that? Like, that's kind of the best life is, is just when I don't want to talk to anybody, I'm just going in. And and then in San Antonio does not help our isolation, right? Because it's like 150 degrees outside. And so no one wants to go outside and play. I took Bits in the park one time and we were out there and it was the middle of summer and we were the only ones out there. Benson had no friends because we were the only ones foolish enough to step out onto a playground in the middle of San Antonio summer. It is super hot here. And so we're in a society really where where we're isolating and we're becoming more and more isolated. And thankfully, we have um, this combated with some technology, right? So some social media platforms have come about and allowed us to be a little bit more connected. Some people who are disabled are actually able to connect with some people relationally and get outside their four walls. So there's some really great benefits of social media, but, but we know that social media is not the solution per se to 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 get rid of the church and get rid of the community that God has placed in fact we read stats all the time those on Facebook who have they have an average of over 300 friends on Facebook most most Facebook users if you don't have that many God still loves you okay just don't be discouraged it's gonna be okay befriend me I'll I'll, I'll accept it maybe um so it, 300, over 300 users, and, and when, when asked the question of if there was a crisis in your life of the 300 people plus that you're friends with, is there somebody that you could call? 
And most people say there's no one that I really trust with that kind of vulnerability. No one I really trust. And in result, we see that there's still this deep level of isolation. The uh, BBC did a poll recently, and they did some statistics. And this is what they found is that the percentage of people who feel alone right here is um, this is the percentage of people who deal with loneliness or feel alone. 27% over 75 plus. Um, the statistics are largely um, 40 and over. There's a large population, 40% plus that feel alone. But look at 16 to 24 and all the college students think that's a little fascinating. Our high school students are looking at that. You're surrounded by people all the time. This is the greatest time of your life if you're in college and this is the time when you're supposed to meet your best friends this is the time when when everything's supposed to happen and look at the percentage that feels alone let's throw that back up there 40 percent 40 percent nearly half of people it's not a far stretch to say that if you were just to engage three people on the college campus or on the high school campus in a meaningful relationship that one of those three people may deal with loneliness that's amazing how god god can start using that for his good and he can start doing things but the truth is is this question of who am i when i feel alone is actually something very relevant to our church and to our city today and so that's why we're talking about it and ruth chapter one as we begin to read i want to i want to turn there and I, I tried to summarize this first service, and then I got really confused, and then, and then um, it didn't work out well. So uh, praise God, you're in second service, and I just know better. Just read it. Um, when you have a microphone and you're trying to remember something, um, sometimes you forget. Uh, it's called stage fright. And I did want to run away off the stage, but I pressed through and realized that God has called me to stay up here. And um, so after we prayed a long, lengthy prayer, and I began to read two chapters as we got back into it. So let's, let's read this. Ruth chapter 1. See vulnerability up here. It's, it's real. Thank you. Now I don't have to go see my therapist this week. Okay, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. We'll come back to that verse in a moment. The name of the man was Elam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I didn't want to read the whole thing. <laughs> Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Praise God for these biblical names. They were Ephrathites, Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went in the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And she rose with daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. 
Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. And at that point, Ruth joined Naomi, and they went back to Bethlehem to this place. And it's ironic that Bethlehem was this place that referred to house of bread if it's translated and it, it possessed a famine at the time and so they went and they searched for something else they searched for food and 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 something that we see in this moment if they're living together for 10 years we see that that Ruth definitely valued relationship she valued a relationship in much more than 10 years by this point, and she valued the fact of these divine relationships. So how do divine relationships impact our identity is what I want to talk about today, is how does this impact our identity? There's three points that I want to leave you today. The first one is this. We overlook the value of divine relationships in discovering our identity. Let me read that again. We overlook the value of divine relationships in discovering our identity. In Ruth 1.1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. There's this moment where famine actually drove them out to another place, to another uh, region, another country, and it drove them to their enemies, the Moabs. And so in this moment, they're driven and, and there's this famine. And, and it's hard for us to relate to famine, right? Maybe we see some pictures of maybe some third world countries and maybe we see some things like that. But for us, famine is a hard thing to really wonder what that's like. But I want to just say this is the truth is all of us have a little bit of famine in our soul. All of us are a little dry in different areas in our life. We've, we're dry where we, we feel like maybe there's a dry land. And, and, and isolation and loneliness, you find that this is even more so true. And it's why Psalm 68, 6 says that, um, that he, he basically, he brings those who are dry into family. Those who are dry actually come into family, and, and here they are sojourning. And sojourning is a unique word. It means this, and you'll read it throughout the Bible and different texts. It means that they're going somewhere temporarily in need of something, not intending to stay. 
that they're going somewhere temporarily. And here in this moment, that, that as they're sojourning, they're just going into a place temporarily. But, but it, there wasn't an intent to stay. But the truth is, is um, the, Ruth actually clung to her. When, when they realized that it was over, the famine was over, she actually clung to her. And, and a lot of times that we're moved by the what's in life, you know, like oh, what job to get? What salary will I make? What city will I live in, right? We're motivated by all these what's. That's really when we're asking, who am I? We're asking, what should I do, right? What should I do with my life? Um, uh, what, what should I um, have and what, should, what degree should I take? And, and oftentimes is when you go to college, you're asking those same questions is, is what degree should I do? Uh, what, what organization should I be a part of to build up my resume and all these things? And, and the truth is, is we don't need to be looking to the what as much as we need to be looking to the who. Who has God placed you with? And, and as you discover in this series of who am I, you're going to have to look around and look at the people that he's placed you with. And in the people he's placed you with, oftentimes you find the what you're supposed to be doing. In the, in the people that are in your life, they, they end up unlocking a key to your destiny. They, they have a key to unlock you into your purpose, into what you're called to do. It's the people that you surround yourself with that, that really do this, that, that begin to unlock this for us. Who are the people he's called you to live with? As we are faced with decisions, we're put into maybe a spiritual family and, and, and not maybe, let me say this, that God has placed you in a spiritual family. And if this isn't the family for you, I'm telling you that God has a people for you. He has a tribe for you. There's a people that you are called to walk with. There are people that you're called to lock, lock arms with. And, and there may be things that we value and things that we say that you can't just get around in these essentials. But, but I'm going to tell you, there's a church for you. There's a people for you, that Jesus has called you to a people. Because in the people of God, in the church that you're around, you find discovering the difference that you are supposed to be making here on earth. See, this is what begins to happen is that God shapes, this is too, our identity through the relationships he places in us. Not only are we looking at who, Ruth's looking at who, I need to be around Naomi. But through this relationship with Naomi, Ruth finds her greater purpose. And, and we won't have time to read all of it, but I'm going to talk to you about it and summarize it. But, but Ruth 1, 16 through 18 says this, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. And this is a moment where we see that, that Ruth 
is making these statements that are powerful. These statements are read oftentimes in wedding ceremonies, right? When two become one, it's like, where you go, I will go. Where you lead, I will follow. Your God will be my God. And this is really the covenant that you make when you grow, when you join a church, when you come into a church family. It's like, you're going to be my people. Where you go, we will go. We're going to fight this thing. We're going to live this thing. We're going to encourage this thing. And, and truth is, we need each other. We need each other because every psychologist says that no one is truly self-aware. No one's truly self-aware. And the person who's sitting there crossing their arms saying, I know me. I'm going to tell you, you do not know you. You do not know all of you. And, and, and the heart is deceitful above all else is what scripture says. Meaning this is that, that we can manipulate in order to get our own gratification. Our own gratification. Whatever's in our heart, that, that sinful area that's in us that, that we really want, but we're calling it God, right? That we really want, but we're calling it his will. I'm telling you that you on your own will not come to necessarily a discovery of that, but God's called you to walk with people to help you because they can see your blind spots. They can see the things that you're weak in. They can see, they can see that you're manipulating yourself. They could see how you're turning it in order to have your own self-gratification. And that's how sin works. Sin is crafty. And it's deceptive. And it's why God has put you in a church. It's why God's put you with people so that they would know you and you in return know them. When I was 23 years old, I never found this to be more true. I was 23 years old and I was at UT Permian Basin. Go Falcons. Come on. Anybody. No. Thank you. Praise God. One. One. And you're just doing that, a pity clap. But praise God for you. I went to, oh, oh, come on. Come on, Odessa right here. So UT Permian Basin, I was there. I was super excited about it. I, was, I went and I started school as a business finance major because I was going to be an investment banker. You know, you ever seen the movie Wall Street? Come on, somebody. So I was going to be an investment banker. I was going to work the numbers. I was going to hedge all the funds, funds all, fund all the hedges and do all that stuff, right? I, it was going to be awesome. And then the, the, the sole finance professor at UT Permian Basin, him and I just not, did not click. You know what I mean? He's just like, I, I have ADD, and if you aren't talking really fast, I'm not keeping up. And so I'm just saying, it, it was one of those things, it's just like, it was really tough to be there, so I decided, okay, I think this is a redirect. I think I'm a business management major now, and I'm going to own a company, and I'm going, to, I'm going to be wealthy that way, because it was all about how many dollars I would get once I walked the stage. Did y'all do that? You looked at every job, and you looked at the salaries? I'm the only one deceptive right here it was deceptive so I remember I remember walking the stage in December I was 23 um side note I was I wasn't 22 because I dropped out of school in order to be an extra on Friday night lights which <laughs> that was silly you know it's just that 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 gratification uh, right here I just anyway yeah I need help 
So I, 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 I was 23, and I, I walked stage, and, and I already lined it up with the vice president of this oil field company. He was going to come interview me out of formality in order to become a landman in the oil field. And I knew that in 2005, right before oil, oil was revving up like it is today, and it has done so, that this was at the very beginning of it. And it was in this moment that a lot of landmen were exiting the industry because they were retired, and there was this huge gap in the oil field because it went through such a downturn between the older generation and the next generation come up behind them. So I was like, this is opportunity. I mean, I'm coming in. I'm I'm fresh. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to do this. And all I do is go through this formal interview, and, and, and I was going to be, you know, just come on in. We need young people who have their degrees, and that was me. And so I was ready to drive my Mercedes, and, and here we go. And, 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 and it was going to be you know, starting out about $80,000 a year, which was a lot, you know, really back then. I mean, think about it. 14 years ago, it was a lot. And, uh, and so, so I was excited about that. I was excited about $80,000, and the potential to even grow past that. And I sat down with my youth pastor because I was serving in youth ministry at the time. And I sat down with him. And I said, hey, I'm graduating. I got this interview. I'm so excited about it. Will you pray for me? And he goes, hey, actually, I got to tell you something. I was like, what are you going to tell me? You know, what are you going to tell me right now? I hope it's good. That I hope you're prophesying that I'm getting this job, you know, tomorrow. He goes, well, we have a youth pastor position open, and I know that you really love our youth students, and you've been hanging out with them and mentoring them and taking them on trips, and, and you've been doing different things like that, and you've really seen a lot of fruit in youth ministry, and I really think um, that there's a call of God on your life to be a youth pastor, and, I, and I'm about to become senior pastor, and I can't tell anybody yet, but in two months, I'm going to be senior pastor, and I, I think this is a God thing that you would be getting your degree right now in order to become a youth pastor. I think he set that up for you, and I think that's call God in your life and I was like let me pray about that (laughs) you see that that was not the what that was not the what that I was looking at and you say I I, I have been in, in my 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 alone thoughts and my inner dialogue and all these fantasies I began to um dwell on think about all this opportunity of wealth and finances and being better than I grew up and 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 beginning to do something and and it was in this moment that I said let me pray about it so some of you know this story but but I'm just maybe you'll get some more details but it's it, it shaped me so I went and I did as everybody does who's trying to self-deceive they don't really pray like, I didn't go pray. I was like, God, of course you want me to go in the oil field. You know? Of course you want me to make this money. You know, that's the what that we've been looking at, Jesus, you and me. And so then I said, um, uh, I came back and I said, okay, I got, a, I got a plan. I got a business plan. I'll do it for two years because I know you don't have anybody and I'm the best. Right? That's, that's sad. That's sad. This is like real thoughts inside. I would not vocalize it like this. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so I'll do it for two years, and then I'll go, and the oil field won't quite be there yet, and so I'll just step in later. And he saw right through me because the who's can see right through you. The, 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 the family that God has placed you in can see 
what's really going on because they're aware of what's going on. And this man walked with me. He discipled me. We met. We were in groups together. He, he saw my inner battles and my inner turmoils. He saw my fears. He saw the fact that when I, when I was, uh, if he thought about ministry, I said no because my dad did ministry and we struggled financially where there would be people dropping off bags of food at our doorstep just in order to get by in ministry. I was like, I don't want that life. I don't want that life. I was already telling Jesus what I wanted, what I was supposed to do. I knew what I wanted. In order to do it, though, I had to be more alone. I had to be more isolated because as soon as you start surrounding yourself with the who, they're not going to let you self-destruct. They're going to start speaking in the greatness of your life. They're going to start speaking life into your bones and who you are and who you're created to be. It's called faith. Speaking faith of, of maybe you're not there yet, but this is where I see you. This is how I see you wired. And so they start speaking this over me, and then he, he saw right through me. He said, Ben, I don't want a youth pastor for two years. He said, are you in or are you out? And he knew oh, I had fear of failure. I did not want to do it. I didn't want to make 25000 a year. I wanted to make eighty. I didn't, I didn't want to keep driving the car that I drove, stick shift, $500 Tercel, you know, that I was a baby in. I wanted to drive the Mercedes. It was, all about, it was all about the next thing, the next step for me. The what's were so big. And he looked at me, and when he called me, all of a sudden my self-deception became enlightened. It was like somebody just magnified the fact that I wanted to walk and gratify my flesh. I said, okay, I'll do it. At that moment, it changed my life. You see, the who's around you are the ones who help shape the way that God made you and who he wants you to be, who he's created you to be. We hear it all the time. The, the people you hang around the most is who you become. And so you hang around people who are self-gratifying, you'll become self-gratifying. If you hang around people who are, who are worried more about um, their success than other people's success, that's what you'll be. If you're, if you're hanging out with people who have destructive marriages, you'll probably have a destructive marriage. If you hang out with people who are just keep gratifying those sinful pleasures, you're going to become that. You are who you hang out around with. That's why God has placed you in family. He's placed you in spiritual family so that you can be who God's created you to be. And in this moment, we see that Ruth clings to Naomi, and Ruth didn't know it. But her life was about to be changed because who she was around began to put her in position and places that God wanted her to be in order to do what God has wanted to do in and through her life. Point three, because of our relationships form our identity, our identity ultimately becomes our legacy. You see, it's, it's one of those things, if you look back and, and maybe you look at, um, you get around some older mentors and some older people who have lived life a little bit longer, and they look back, they'll tell you quickly that who I am today is by the steps that I've walked throughout this life. They'll quickly say, it was who I surrounded myself with, it's what I invested in and who I invested in, it's those things, and your legacy is a reflection of the identity that you're 
leaving, you're living today. And so what will you leave? And in Matthew 1.5, we read this moment where it sums up Ruth's life, where Ruth began to cling to Naomi. And when she clinged to Naomi, her life began to unfold and she met a man, a man named Boaz. And, and this man that, that she got around because Naomi saw the who in her and, and began to call out things. And Naomi, Ruth began to have some confidence and did some things and God started using her and her and Boaz got married and it changed forever the legacy that they left. It affects actually you and me today in Matthew 1.5. The genealogy of Jesus and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of the giant slayer, David and David in the lineage of Jesus. You see, it wasn't the what that defined Ruth, it was it was her being around Naomi. It was her realizing her realizing how valuable this is. See, legacy is a picture, is a reverse picture of your identity. And we have to come to account and we we'll all will at the end of our life realizing uh, what kind of life did we live and what kind of life did we leave. And who did we cling to and help shape us and form us in the people that we're called to be? And the people that God has called us to be is to be with the people he's placed us with. And that, that one word is family. Family. When we look at the, when we look at everything, the, the machine that's not working, the machine that's broken, and God puts an X on the brokenness, what he's doing is he's put in a place of where there's brokenness where you need family. And the only way to really experience family is you have to come through the one who paid the price for it. You have to come to the one who paid the price in order for you to be adopted into the family. You see, a lot of us have come to church and we've been hurt by the church. We've been broken. There's been broken expectations maybe on both places. But I want to tell you that, that in the church there may be some hurt. In the church there may be some brokenness. But in the church you can be healed from that, that hurt. But when you're alone and you isolate, you're not healed and you don't reconcile, you just get bitter. So God's brought you into a family to be healed. He's brought you in this place. And he wants healing for you and the Father's heart for you and his family. The Father's heart for you and his family is represented in the prodigal. You may remember Luke 15, the prodigal son. And we showed this video a couple years ago that Milestone produced. But we want to just show you how big a deal, how big it is that God thinks of you as his son or his daughter. Check it out. As we begin to close, I just... Um, God's heart for you to be a part of his family is so big. It's so big. He would hang a thousand sheets for you. More importantly, he would give his son for you. His son would live a perfect life, blameless and yet blamed for you. Died for you. But by the power of God, raised to life for you. It's amazing what Jesus has done. Would you close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning as we reflect in the last minute or two? If you've never 
placed your faith in Jesus. You've been trying to do family on your own through networking or maybe bits and pieces, but there still feels like something's broken. I want to let you know this morning that the brokenness in your soul, if you don't know Jesus, that's it. It's for you to know Jesus. In order to know Jesus, then you must repent from your sins, as Romans says, and, and confess that you are messed up. But, but, God loved you so much, he didn't want to leave you that way. So return and repent from that and turn to him and cry out that Jesus is Lord. If you want to make Jesus Lord of your life today and you've never done that, would you raise your hand this morning so I can pray for you? All right, church, would you repeat this prayer with me and then we all pray this together. Father God, I have sinned and fallen short, but Jesus, you came and lived a life I couldn't live and you died a death in my place and rose from the grave so that I could have life. I trust you, Jesus. Become the Lord and Savior of my life. 